Well, thanks so much, Dan, for, for joining me today. This is a, a really, really awesome sector that you have decided to dig your teeth into. So I'm excited to talk about Steward, but also your journey is really cool. You know, you, your sort of background and what you've built already is, is pretty great. So maybe you want to go back to maybe a little bit before Fundrise and maybe talk about how you started Fundrise, what that was, and maybe how that, you know, created the inspiration to, to start Steward. Sure. Yeah, it is a continuous line that does connect, even if on the surface, you know, it's hard, <laughs> hard to see the connection. So, you know, after school, I began a real estate development company with my brother. My family was in real estate development in Washington, D.C. So that was kind of mm. the world I grew up in and knew. And we decided to focus on smaller scale kind of urban infill properties, historic buildings that we were restoring, leasing to local tenants, which are, you know, the types of projects that people want in their communities, but are not the types of projects that traditional investors in real estate like because they don't have credit tenants and they take some creativity. So they're not uh, boring, <laughs> which is a requirement. And so being frustrated from kind of going to traditional private equity firms and uh, finding that they weren't aligned with the types of projects we were doing. They didn't know the neighborhoods. They only wanted big deals. Mm. They didn't want that kind of creativity around local tenants. We decided to build a platform, which later became Fundrise, to raise money from local residents in, in the community who were nearby the, the building to invest in the property. Um, seems like a simple idea. It took you know two years of regulatory filings and a lot of technology yeah. development to make it possible. But a, a fairly simple premise, which is you should be able to invest in properties in your neighborhood. You should be able to have kind of an impact on what's built around you and an influence on it, as opposed to that money coming from the outside. And not only did we successfully raise the funds for the first development project we did, but we had other real estate firms from around the country reach out with, with the interest to do the same thing of how can I how can I find funding that is more in tune with what I'm doing as opposed to the traditional kind of Wall Street style investors that are looking yep. for very little, you know, as much return as possible and as little variability as possible. And so Spunrise has been out as an independent company. Since then, it now has over 100 50,000 investors. It's raised over a billion dollars. You know, it's really shown that there is scale to kind of the broad base market. We, we innovated on a lot of regulatory uh, exemptions to kind of broaden their use for, for the internet era and have shown that, you know, with, with a good narrative and a good product, there's a huge market out there looking for alternatives, looking for different places to put their money that, that they have very few options. So was that through accredited investors or unaccredited? Could it be both? That was non-accredited. So that was really That's, what we pioneered. You know, traditional so real estate yeah. offerings. Yeah, we're credited only private offerings. So we went through uh, exemptions uh, that were on the SEC's books, but never used in order to make it available mm. to non-accredited. The exemption we used and pioneered was called Regulation A. It had only been used one time the year before for a Broadway play. We had to file with state regulators and federal regulators together. You know, it spent more in legal costs than, than even the offering size, but it <laughs> proved kind of the pathway that there there are rules on the books that that can help drive non-accredited and broader-based funding. And, and since then, that rule was modified as part of the JOBS Act and, and some yep. regulatory to make it easier and expand it and broaden it. So I think what we did helped show that, that you can modify what's there and make some adjustments to help uh, expand access. It is still very expensive and challenging and time costs, you know, time-wise to offer uh, investments to non-accredited investors. So I don't think the rule changes have gone far enough. It's still very restrictive. It's still too much effort for most companies, but it's easier than it was a decade sure. ago. So that is an improvement. Okay. So, you know, I spent six years in building Fundrise, you know, to become a large company, but I, I found the shift moved a little way from pioneering kind of real estate projects to more investment vehicle uh, type platform. So 
it's still grown enormously and I still support the business and, and I think it will continue to kind of dominate the industry. But I was feeling a longing for more, you know, passion and connection of the projects. And so I had um, a family connection to agriculture from way back in the day that my mother's family was farming on Eastern Shore, Maryland. She grew up on a farm and same with five generations back. I grew up in Washington, DC, but we spent a lot of time out there. And although it was a beautiful you know, region, it had really been decimated over the past hundred years with Chesapeake Bay being depleted and kind of overfishing and traditional ag. So I saw traditional ag's impact on rural communities and rural ecosystems. And so I didn't know what a different system looked like, but it always sat with me. There's something <laughs> off yeah. with this. And then in my time in real estate in Washington, DC, I met uh, a few local chefs, one in particular named Spike Jurdy, who's a James Beard Award winner in Baltimore uh, from his restaurant, Woodbury Kitchen, single-handedly sources from over 150 farmers for that restaurant. Wow. And so I was showing him buildings and kind of talking about uh, working with him in, on the real estate side, but started to meet farmers that he was buying from. And, you know, he's buying these amazing products from these smaller scale farmers doing kind of special varieties of everything, which everyone wants in reality, everyone talks about, but that sure. would speak to these farmers and they couldn't get funding at all. You know, they kind of being unconventional meant they were outside of the norm. And so they didn't have access to capital. And that that's kind of was the moment for Stuart of, you have huge consumer demand and interest in supporting regenerative agriculture. People want these types of regional, uh, you know, ecological food systems, but the funding available to those producers is, is nil. There's nothing available. So how, how can you ever achieve the scale and, and, and viability needed without funding? You should tap the people that are already believe in this work that should support it. And and it's so it's kind really of a great genesis. parallel from Fundrise because you getting local people to invest in, in, in real estate buildings and infrastructure but now it's like steward almost takes that to the land where you could get almost like local people in the city to invest in their local local farms right in a way it's it's, it's a kind of cool parallel and to build those links and i think that's just kind of like there's so many intermediaries that most financial products have no texture and they don't mm -hmm. uh, have any mm -hmm. values other than pure return so here you're seeing the direct link that you're providing funding, you're lending money to a farmer, you're seeing their growth, you're seeing the improvements, you're hearing their story, you're seeing a return and then you're seeing their success. So that, that's definitely a common theme of how do you create new opportunities for people to put money into things that have greater impact, but also kind of a tangible reality to them that they can actually see the property that's developed or the farm that's improved. And that kind of visibility and connection also creates a higher standard. You know, if, if you're have that direct link and you have that yep. relationship, you're going to be operating at a much higher level and you're going to be more thoughtful about your business, which is a great fit for these kind of farming entrepreneurs who are growing the best product, obsessive about quality, obsessive about taking care of the land. Th those values matter to people, but for traditional finance, they don't matter at all. And so they don't really get the credit for the hard work that they're doing against the system. Whereas I find with, with individuals, they're excited to support somebody who's doing that work. It's kind of interesting because like they are like sh chefs in a way, just like the chef prepares the food a lot, like they meticulous about the, the plate and, and the ingredients that go in it. And the farmer is kind of the same way, but just at, at the the most foundational level of taking care of the land and making sure the sun or the shade and what goes into the soil is correct. Like they're almost like chefs themselves. Is there like a, a James Beard award winner for like farmers? If not, there should be. They, they don't be have the it yet. They're still, they're still kind of hidden behind the chefs. The past decade, <laughs> everyone knows chefs and they have TV shows and everything. 
which is a relatively new thing. You know, there was only yeah. maybe a handful yeah. before yeah. that. And I think farmers are, are, a few of them are really savvy digitally and have kind of bigger brands, but most of them just don't have the time or resources to invest in marketing infrastructure. But I do find their personalities the same. They're really thoughtful about what the product they're creating, the story they're telling, what they're growing. And they're just in it every day that if you can provide an infrastructure for them to, 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 to tell their story and engage with people, they, they, they're doing really important work that, that does need to be highlighted. Um, and they also need operational support, which I find many chefs need. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that kind of like creativity and obsession also lends itself to needing to delegate and needing support. And so we, we started with Steward by providing financing to these farms that is raised through our platform where individuals can lend money. But we're now also helping with bookkeeping services. We're helping, I just looked at Mint Farmer, mm. which is kind of rebranding and e-commerce of, you know, how, how do you then fill some of these other elements that they don't have expertise in that are part of having a viable farm business in, in this day and age? You know, you have to market, you have to brand, you have to package. Huge. So there's a lot of those elements that requires them to be successful. So they, they have all the raw ingredients of, of success and viability, but because the system is not built for them, the funding is not available, the business services and infrastructure is not there, they have to go it alone. And so our goal is to help kind of strengthen their ability to, to do that. And then also connect and network with other similar farmers going that have on their own been, been providing and going through these challenges that can use support of other networks and mentors. That's super interesting. So when you said you had a little bit of a family you know, background, you kind of could have had a little bit of your toes in the agriculture world, but now that you talk to farmers, you know, every, every week now, like, what are some of the things that you learned about maybe, you know, the farming industry that kind of blew your mind or just really opened your eyes up to a world maybe that you didn't know as much of now that you know now, like, what are some of the things that, you know, we as citizens should know, or, or even now we can all be investors, right? So like, what are some of the things that, that you learned that got you super interested in, in sort of the, the sector? I think I, I learned mainly that most of the preconceived notions are incorrect about farmers and how agriculture works and who's doing the farming. And, and the reality is that kind of like large scale row crop farming that you see on the side of the road, mm -hmm. that's a certain type of farming. And then the other narrative is that the kind of family farms dying, small farms can't compete. They have mm -hmm. to just give up and sell to the big farmers. And that's just how the world needs to be. And then you realize first that the entire market of agriculture is supported by government policy and subsidies. So it's, it's yep. not that the bigger farms are better, it's that they have enormous support behind them. So if it yeah. was a level playing field, it wouldn't be the case. So they kind of distort the market and they pretend that that's like the natural order of things. And then second, that, that a lot of these small to mid-sized farms, they are thriving. They have huge demand for their products, mm -hmm. but because they don't have access to resources and financing, they're not able to take those steps forward as much as they need. I mean, financing infrastructure improvements and equipment and land purchases and working capital all on sales is very hard. I mean, it's not really possible. And right. so you end up undercapitalized and, and you could be five times bigger, but you just don't have the resources to do it. So I found that, you know, these farmers are considering themselves business people. They don't want handouts in a sense. They don't think of themselves as nonprofits. They're running a viable business. They'd like to be able to earn more and grow grow their business. And if you can give them the right resources, we've had farms that went from 10,000 revenue to 120,000 in three years. I mean, huge jumps for any business would be success. And that's just because there's so much demand for what they're growing. There's so much interest in what they're doing. They have not been able to meet demand. And so that's really, I think, where I've learned that, that there is a viable type of agriculture and diversified direct sale to end user, value-added products, you know, regenerative yep. nutrients. There is a there is a story of a farmer who is doing well that if we put more resources behind, 
would not only thrive, but I think be the model for agricultural system. But all the money is to the other side yep. that we try to prop up and keep going and all the subsidies. And nobody even really knows how it works. They just know they read the front page of the newspaper and farmers get $26 billion of payments for, I don't know why, you know, because yep. they're, they're in Iowa, I guess, I don't know. So <laughs> I think there's an understanding from a distance for people that the farming system doesn't seem to be working well and the kind of uh, nutrition and health of people is diminishing and access to food yep. is not uh, is, is challenging for huge groups of people. But they're kind of not clear, well, what does another form of agriculture look like? And I think something's wrong with the reality. And that was the experience I went through, that there are alternative forms of agriculture that can thrive and be successful, that can also support ecosystems and health and nutrition. We just as a country have decided not to not to prioritize it really to under actively undermine it, not only not prioritize it. Right, it's right. going to take a lot of people to take individual action upon themselves to actually, you know, slowly at a local and regional level transition it to a different system. We have actually on our, upon ourselves to subsidize the exact opposite, right? Of kind of what <laughs> regenerative farming sort of is. And if we actually subsidize that part of it, it would be an immense change in like I think just health, right? In general of 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 human beings um oh, but it's incredible it's not even a question of which has higher right. benefit you know but it's just that's the system was built in the post-war era and big industrial chemical companies control it and so they're just those are vested interests at the highest levels so it, it i believe it is a gra- it requires a grassroots movement it's not the government that's going to make the change yep what did you learn about regenerative farming like did you have any knowledge of it at all or or what did you sort of learn about it and and maybe give your two cents on on sort of what it means for you and how you define it so i I began working on steward in earnest in 2016 i think 2012 is kind of when i had the idea but i had just launched fundrise and just too much to try multiple things so at that point you know my understanding of it was through chefs through the kind of farmer Mm. table movement i think that's where most people's entry point is kind of farmers they have memories of farmers markets and like certain restaurants that really highlighted products that were really delicious and the story was told well um but that you know that where's it grown who's growing it you see a name on a menu but like you don't you don't really know the reality of it and then i read uh, wendell berry uh you may not know him he's a famous writer an agricultural writer kind of sixth generation kentucky farmer who went to the city and came home and just amazing writer on prescient on industrial ag and its negative uh, impacts. And, you know, he, he had a book called The Unsettling of America, which I think framed for me, okay, the whole system is upside down. What is considered conventional agriculture is actually hugely extractive and depletive and is not uh, viable other than the government support for it. And there is an alternative form of agriculture that tends to be smaller scale, that recycles nutrients, that focuses on local markets, that's very thrifty in its use. So that kind of gave me the, the underpinning of who, what do these farms look like in character and kind of personality. And then as I began steward, I, I reached out to people I knew to ask for kind of intros to farmers and very surprisingly were not very different. Uh, people, you know, they were <laughs> relatively normal people. A lot of these new generation of farmers went to college, decided they want to be a farmer, or didn't grow up on farms. They—they're just people who are really passionate about the land and products they're making. And so I find that people often try to put regenerative agriculture in kind of like a labeling system, like the organic mm-hmm. system, which yep. became a system and then was co-opted by the industry because it's always, how can I sell more product, higher margin without doing the work? It's always, right. kind of always <laughs> what they're looking for. And a regenerative, it's starting to kind of go in that way where like General yeah. Mills is saying they're regenerative and it's yeah. like just, I don't buy it. I don't, one, yeah. I can't see what you're talking about, but two, I don't buy it. 
and so here I just it's it's more of a values of the farmer. You know, are they eating the food that they're growing when they're mm. telling the story about the product? Is it that kind of passion and obsession about it? What is their long term goal? Are they just looking to earn a reasonable income, or is it that they're trying to be extractive with the business? So that kind of personality of taking care of the land results in better farming practices, or more animal welfare, or more nutritious food, or better quality soil, it all connects. But the second you try to label it quickly one thing or the other, then it's jumping through hoops and it's getting inspections and then it starts to become its own thing. So I, I find it, you, you know, when you see it, when you meet these types of farmers, you hear their stories, you see their farms, you try their products. Mm-hmm. It's abundantly clear that what they're doing is positive to the land and the food is nutritious and they should be supported. But like any of these terms, very quickly, people realize well, I can make more by selling products under this name. And so people are, in reality now, the big ag world is looking at regenerative and trying to It's um, their form of, of greenwashing, it. right? It's kind of their form of, of greenwashing a little bit. Effectively. So, so it's not that large farms can't be regenerative. It's just much harder at a huge mm-hmm. scale because you're kind of right. out of the natural human scale of operating a, a piece of land. Yep. And then the supply chains that the big corporations want are just so massive, just the scale of the purchasing that that truly regenerative agriculture is not there yet. They can't supply 2 million acres of whatever the product is. So there's kind of a mismatch of the world wants instantly regenerative agriculture to be at scale. Of when course, in reality, yeah. this has been an underfunded and ignored part of the yeah. market for uh, 100 years, 80 years, I mean, long time. And so all, all of a sudden now it needs to be at global scale. It's like, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of people going into farming. It's going to take a lot of resources to existing farms. It's going to require a lot of value-added infrastructure, a lot of consumer behavior changes. This is a, a serious undertaking to switch towards what, you know, is is considered regenerative. But it's, you know, the ecological imperative, I think, will drive it. It, 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 ha- it has to happen. Uh, to, to, yeah. It's not a choice. For kind really. of climate and ecological purposes. Yeah, you can only poison yourself for so long. <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about from, from the user side or, or from you know the investor side. When when somebody sort of creates an account and and you know they in, invest sort of in a farm, what are like through equity crowdfunding, right? Whether through Republic or WeFunder, when you you know you buy shares, quote unquote, theoretically buy shares in, in a company, right? Through through those platforms. And then you own, you know, equity in it. But is it the same with with the farms? Like, are you investing in the LLC of the farm, right? Sure. In the actual yeah, so land. Like, the breakdown yeah. of how it works. So, so the, the the structure of it is we have steward provides loans to farms. So it's just credit. Gotcha. It's just loans. Gotcha. We provide loans, and then we sell loan participation. So people are buying pro rata slices of the loan. If it's a hundred thousand dollar loan, they can buy a ten thousand dollar piece. Gotcha. People funding as little as a hundred dollars, as large as hundreds of thousands of dollars all across the board. Definitely there's a values focused uh, user on our platform that they're excited to hear the stories of the farm. They want to put their money into things that mm-hmm. they can see a benefit from. But the person who's writing $100,000 check and a $1,000 check has the same motivation. It's just yep. different, more capacity, more resources. And we began providing mortgage loans to farms. We've also mm. now expanded for equipment and operating loans. So some of them are backed by a secured interest in property some by equipment, some by the operations of the business. Interest rates and terms vary, you know, depending on that scale. Most are between 6 to 8% interest. So a healthy rate for lenders yeah, on our great. platform, but also reasonable for farms. And our goal to the farmers, how do we comprehensively deliver all the funding you need from all aspects of your business, which is operations, equipment, and land, and simplify that and then present you to 
your customer base and our user base who, who want to support your growth, but through our platform can feel confident in the legal documentation and the securing yep. of the loan and the repayment system. And so we're, you know, we provide due diligence, we provide preparation of the materials as they kind of launch their campaigns. We provide the legal and regulatory infrastructure, but it's meant to build those direct links from, you know, people who are seeing the farm and excited by it. And so, you know, people basically buy a slice of a loan. They're providing a, a loan to the farm via our yep. platform um, and they own a return. We've generally found for the kind of small to mid-sized regenerative farm sector that that credit is really where the need is. Mm -hmm. These are right. businesses that don't want to sell. There's not natural liquidity. And they, right. they will reinvest any capital, so there's no dividend. So if you have no liquidity, yep. no cash yeah. flow, it's there's no reason to be equity for it. Um, but they're willing to borrow because they need to borrow That's money. Great. They need yeah. money for equipment. They need money for land. They just don't have the cash for it. So they can borrow, use it as they need, repay it, and recycle it and grow on debt. And then we now also have a business line to help farmers apply for grants. There are a lot of grants out there they can use. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out how do we bring together all the different forms of funding if they can yeah. get free money. Fantastic if they get a cheap subsidized loan, great. Or if they raise private funding through our platform, all the better. But kind of from their perspective of what is out there that they can get and we can weave together where the business is going because they don't have the time or expertise to, to understand the capital markets. Um, but there there are programs and there are opportunities for them that can be woven together to, to you know support the growth of their business. Yeah, I want to go back to one thing you said earlier I thought was really cool and fascinating is kind of digitizing you know the farmers and their brands, right? And, and, and try to build that infrastructure from you know almost a DD, always direct to consumer brand as a farmer, right? So what, like, so is that building, you know, e-commerce infrastructure for them? Or is that just like consulting with them on how they should do it and then putting them in touch with whoever can, you know, build the e-commerce store or work on their branding design for their packaging? Like, that's a really interesting thing that yeah. I think a lot of farmers could leverage. It, de it depends. But, but I think, you know, what I've learned, so how do you make farmers successful? You know, first mm -hmm. I was kind of finding these farmers and providing financing. And then you realize the farmers that are most successful are selling value-added products and they're selling direct to the end user. So you, mm -hmm. you want to be selling to the end user. You can't give up your margin to an intermediary, a distributor, a grocery store. You know, most of the time the farmer is getting 60, 70% of the margin taken out by the, the right. last few touch points. You can't survive without that. And then by doing value-added products, instead of selling peppers, sell hot sauce, you can now compete at good pricing at levels that other other products are and still make money because you're the producer. You know, you're basically an integrated CPG company and a farm. So that's a lot to ask of a farm, but that's really the model that they need to be of direct sales, as much value added as possible within their regional radius. And so that's where you know you have a huge uh, you have a huge number of people who are great at branding and marketing and digital ads and tech who yeah. love to support these farms. And then you have many farms that need those yeah. resources but don't have it, and and they can pay and support you know discounted rate or products. So we're building really a kind of a marketplace of vendors where the farmers are client. We have one now, a mint farm in Oregon. They already have peppermint patties that are beloved regionally, but they're about to launch a new tea brand. And we're just going to help them professionalize their branding, packaging, e-commerce, website, tell their story. We're going to find, uh, they're near Portland, Oregon. They're in Clatskanai, which is on the Columbia River. We're going to help find some local vendors or employees that can then support that work. So we'll act as like the project coordinator for, okay, here's website, here's digital ads, here's branding design. Some of it we can do in-house, but really how do we build a stable of like really talented graphic design people who can help totally. with gorgeous packaging that then can make that product fly? Because you have definitely a lot of well-packaged CPG products 
telling the story that aren't really doing sourcing the way that they're saying. Exactly. And so if you could yeah. have that direct traceability from the farm to their product with well, good branding with the digital system, you know, they can be very successful. And so I think right. funding's fundamental. You get them funding, they can start to grow and they can start to kind of look up and think about future plans. And then marketing branding is, is just a huge driver of sales. And then the third piece of that is funding the equipment, the processing equipment, the bottling equipment that's then needed to really create the product. So you end up, you do one thing, you need to do the other because they're all in balance. You need funding for the infrastructure yep. to then create the product to then market it, to then drive higher margin sales and, and repeat the system. So we used to do it with our own staff informally, and now we're taking that next step of kind of how do we engage an audience of people who would like, who can do it for discounted rates. We even had a videographer in uh, in Oregon take a, a food share. It was a fisheries project to take tuna as payment. So yeah, know, people <laughs> love these products. So maybe- you know, you can build it where people are paying a small amount of cash and some in product. And, and you, that way you're really building that kind of regional uh, incentivized system. I'll end on a little bit about the future and maybe what sort of success looks like you internally as a team or you just personally, how do you look at success for Steward? You know, is it the amount of farmers that come on the platform? Is it the amount of money loaned out? You know, like what what are some of the the goals or successes maybe you want to see occur within the, maybe let's say the next, you know, five to 10 years? You know, just like I've kind of careers been finding alternative types of funding and more aligned with individuals. I find, you know, so many of traditional kind of tech companies, we're kind of a tech company in that world. It's mm -hmm. just about volume. It's just about AUM. It's kind of like, Let's grow as big a market as possible. So I think the the real metric here is is viability of the farms, like the success of these farms. Are they actually successful? Can they grow? Can they sustain themselves? Can they become independent enterprises? You know, without our outside of our ability to support them. And so I think that's what model we're trying to build. And how do we build a system? that may be complicated in all its elements, but that can really deliver like a solution for the farmer of helping them with financing, helping them run their business and helping them actually like live properly with a decent income and, and being able to do what they want. And we spent the first five years really tweaking that of understanding the farmer customer, understanding yep. the services need, building the infrastructure for it. And now it's really picking up. So I, I think we will be supporting, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of farms in the next wow. few years, and it'll be billions of dollars just because that's the scale of the market. I mean, you have yeah. the market is already hundreds of billions of dollars of loads. It's like, which is why at first people don't understand why is there a need for funding in agriculture? It's like literally the most funding of any sector, but it's, it's the wrong type of funding. It's not right. actually the funding needed by these farms, but you're looking at a transition of needing, you know, billions and tens of billions of dollars of financing of not just farms, but value-added infrastructure and processing infrastructure and all of the supply chain that is more distributed and regionalized and built for a more moderate scale. So our, our hope is to be the, the platform that can aggregate all those elements that can provide the network of funders that can provide the infrastructure to help deliver that, can provide the, the kind of labor pool to help support it, and then can advocate for farmers, not just in their success as farmers, but also for you know, who they are and the sacrifices they're making and hopefully policy changes over time that can uh, make what they do a little bit easier. Super cool, man. Well, thank, thank you so much for taking the time, Dan. This was an awesome, awesome conversation. The platform is an amazing idea. And I mean, it's just, it's such a, a perfect time in, in our society where people who used to maybe like just eat food and love food also not have the chance to like invest in their local farms. Like is, it's such a, it's just such a great transition of, of investing that we're, we're all kind of going through. 
And it's just a, it's just a great moment for people to, to find out about this stuff, because I think more and more people want to do it, just how we want to spend our dollars on companies and products in the consumer space that we sort of believe in and, and trust, right, with brands. The same goes for food, right, and land. Like, this is, it's such an opportunity for us as consumers, because, like you said, it, it's not going to work through the government. It's going to work through consumers and investors and people really allocating their money correctly into this type of stuff for, for this massive sort of change to occur. So appreciate you taking the time and best of luck for you and the team for the next decade to come, my man. Thank you.